Church family, will you take your copy of God's Word and turn to Mark chapter 5? Uh, this morning, we will cover the entire chapter of Mark chapter 5, all 43 verses. Don't worry, I have a plane to catch immediately after the service. We won't be here all that long, but we're going to look at the three stories of Mark 5. As you find your place, I certainly appreciate uh, Dalton praying for Brandon and I as we go. We covet your prayers. We're going to be working this week uh, with great joy. I have a lot of leadership development to do with those young men who are leading that church, and then some teaching on the weekend uh, with their entire congregation. I hope to actually have some updates for you online. I'm planning to uh, record some videos with some of the leaders of that church, letting them introduce themselves to you so you can kind of get to know them and know how to pray uh, for those guys. Uh, But we're not the only mission team. So Dalton got to pray for uh, Brandon and I going, uh, but it is such a joy to pastor a church that doesn't just occasionally do missions. We do missions so much, we send out two teams in one week. And so after we read some scripture here in a moment, I'm going to have the opportunity to pray for 11 people from our church uh, leaving on Friday to go to Philadelphia to work with our church plant there, uh, Redemption Heights Church in West Philly. They're going to be doing a fall outreach on Saturday. uh, And our folks are going up uh, to can be instrumental in helping serve that body and serve that community as they reach out there uh, in West Philly. So you be sure to uh, be in prayer for them, and we will do that corporately here in just a moment. I'll invite you now to stand with me. Uh, I'm going to read, I'm not going to read all four th- 43 verses. We will, but I'm not going to do it right now. I'm just going to read the introduction to each section to get what's happening in this text in our mind. So look with me. At first, at the first two verses, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the, I practiced this word, I cannot tell you how many times, it rhymes with kerosene, the Gerasenes, there it is, the Gerasenes, it gets me with the G in front, the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately they met him out of the tomb, there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Now, verse 21, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so she may be made well and live. Now, verse 25. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no way better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gathered body of Christ as we worship and pray together, encouraging one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, the reading of scripture. We thank you, God, that you hear us because we are gathered. We know you are in our midst. Father, we do pray for those who will leave out from us later this week to go to Philadelphia to work with those who went out from us a few years ago to plant a church there in that city. God, would you bless them? Would you use that team? Would you use that church to proclaim the gospel to people who need to hear it? 
I pray, God, that even in the hearts of those who will hear this weekend, you will begin to do a work and to prepare that they may understand their desperate need for you. Bless our time in the word this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning's sermon from Mark 5 is entitled Desperate Encounters. I was talking with Pastor Jay this week as We were going over this text and the text for next week because I'll be preaching at Great Joy Bible Church next week in Rwanda. And so Jay will be uh, preaching here in in Mark chapter 6. And so we were just talking through our text a little bit. And I told him that I would be preaching uh, a sermon entitled Desperate Encounters. And he said, that sounds like a Lifetime movie. And I thought, thanks, Jay. You have written my introduction for me. Because it does kind of sound like a Lifetime movie, doesn't it? I, I really don't like those movies. I, I don't watch that. And, and, and they all tell kind of the same story. They're, they're about to change, though, because it's getting cold. That means they're about to be Lifetime movies um, with Christmas trees in them. But it's all the exact same story, isn't it? Somebody is in desperate need of something um, and they're probably going to find it in some small town somewhere with the, in the place they didn't expect to find it. It's a little bit like what we see here in these three stories. That, that these people, whether they know it or not, the first guy we're going to encounter doesn't really, he may know of his need, but the scripture doesn't tell us of his need. Other people are just at their wit's end in desperate need of an encounter with Jesus. Have you ever been so desperate for something that you would just go to great lengths, seemingly to the ends of the earth to see it happen? You maybe have. Last week's sermon about the disciples in the boat with Jesus, and I used the analogy of being in the boat with Christ. And I've had numerous people in our church this week come and say, Pastor, I'm in the boat right now. Because you're in that boat, you you may feel that you are in just desperate need of Jesus to do something. The question that we ask this morning is, where do we go? And what drives that desperation? The disciples in the boat in Mark 4, thankfully, wake Jesus. Teacher, we're perishing. Save us, they cried. And now we'll see three different people coming to Jesus with just an incredible need, and we'll see what Jesus does. The main idea of our sermon today is that those who encounter Jesus in desperation for him experience life. Those who encounter Jesus in desperation for him experience life. Now, the way we're going to approach these three stories is really the way that I uh, read them at the beginning. It's we're going to take them in parts just together. So you've got to pay attention to the whole thing to find out what happens in the end to these three people. But the beginning of each one of these stories introduces to us the desperate need to encounter Jesus. The first is for a spiritually oppressed man. Go back with me at the beginning of Mark 5. They came to the other side of the sea, so this is... They are sailing across the Sea of Galilee, not really all that big. This is to go from east to, or go from west to east. You're, you're really only talking about a, a few miles. They've sailed a few miles. They've had this incredible encounter in the middle of the night 
wind, storm, Jesus calming the waves. They've come to the country, the Gerasenes. The Gerasenes uh, is in the Golan Heights and south on the other side of the Jordan. This is present day contested land between Israel and Syria in the north and the kingdom of Jordan in the south. It is distinctly Gentile in Jesus' day, and that matters for the story. Jesus has now left Israel. He's now left Galilee, the region of northern Israel, and has sailed into an area that is predominantly Gentile. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. So even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. The first story in Mark 5 is a likely, because of the area he lives in, Gentile man who has been oppressed by unclean by what is known here so far as an unclean spirit we're going to find out later that it is more likely this area this man lives in he lives alone it seems as if he is in a very what a, from a jewish perspective very unclean part of the country. Two reasons that it would be seen as unclean. First is introduced here is that he's living amongst the tombs. To, to walk amongst tombs for Israelites would be considered unclean. We'll find out later that they herded pigs in this area. No Israelite would have herded pigs. The Gentiles that lived there herded pigs. This man was an outcast of society. And because of the unclean spirit that he had, he had some type of uh, either superhuman strength or just more likely the ability to break out of chains, to gnaw himself and to work himself out of these chains just by sheer will. He, he was just overcome by this evil spirit. He cried out night and day, cutting himself. The, the, the spiritual oppression that was on this man was so great that he was very likely trying to even take his own life. And immediately we're told in the text, Jesus comes and lands the boat on the opposite shore and here runs this man who shouts to him, Jesus, son of the most high God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now what we'll see here and what we must recognize is this is not the man speaking. This is the unclean spirit that is within him speaking and Jesus is going to address that in a moment. But just allow this first story to sit in our minds, you don't get the end yet, we move back across the sea in verse 24. Now, what's going to happen in verse 20, or what's going to happen prior to verse 24, because we're going to skip some, uh, is the conclusion of the story with the man, and then uh, an initial encounter with a man named Jairus, which we're going to consider next, but because of the outcome of that happens later, that story's kind of split in two. We're going to kind of consider next what happens in the middle, where we see the desperate need of a chronically ill woman. A great crowd is following Jesus, 
They're thronging about him. We're told at the end of verse 24 and verse 25, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. So the second story, the main character of the second story is a woman with a bleeding issue. She's been bleeding for 12 years. This bleeding makes her ceremonially unclean. She is as, as if she is the man with the unclean spirit who is living amongst a herd of pigs in surrounding the tombs. Her medical issue has caused her to be likely a pariah. She very likely would be unmarried and childless. And as the crowds press around Jesus, this woman who is at her very wit's end, feeling as if there is nothing else she can do. We're told she's gone to the doctors. It's not like she's, and by the way, going to the doctor is not a bad thing here. It's not painted as a bad thing in the text. She had gone to the doctor. She had spent everything that she had, but they could not fix her. There was no cure for what she had. And so out of desperation, she goes to Jesus differently than the man before. She just thinks, if I can get close enough to touch him, yes, even if I could just touch his garment, I will be made well. For she had heard the reports of all of the things that Jesus had done. She knew what the crowds were saying. And so if she could just work her way in desperation through the crowd to Jesus, she would be healed. Number three, we see the desperate need of a dying child. So back up with me into verse 21. Jesus has crossed, the boat, has crossed again back into Galilee to the other side, we're told, and a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Remember, in Galilee, Jesus is now the most popular figure around. Every day. He's having to teach from the boat, teaching people on the shore. The crowds are just pressing on him. They've now pressed in as he's come back. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Now it is this moment that Mark introduces for us the story of the woman with the chronic issue of bleeding. So we skip to verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And here's the characters of story number three is a prominent man. A man who is named for us. He's named for us intentionally. We're we're supposed to see this man as important in the community. We're we're told that he is a leader in the synagogue. He's, He's one of the rulers of the synagogue. He would have been looked to in that community as a person of authority. And Mark gives us his name. And this man, who either would have been a Pharisee himself being a ruler of the synagogue or would have been directly aligned with the Pharisees because they controlled the synagogue. He's in desperate need because his child is dying and this man is willing to risk everything to save his daughter. So why would I say he's willing to risk everything to save his daughter? Because he is publicly, openly asking for Jesus to help. 
And we've already seen that the Pharisees are growing tired of the teachings of Jesus. They're going to continue to do so, but this man believes that Jesus can do something. But in the midst, as Jesus is having this interaction with this woman, they come and they say, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher any further. So three stories. A man overcome by spiritual oppression, a woman at her wit's end with a medical issue, and an important prominent man with a dying daughter, all in desperate need of Jesus. And Jesus, as he encounters all three, responds to them in their need. So let's go back to the story across the sea where Jesus exercises authority over spiritually over spiritual oppressors. Pick up in verse 8. When he saw, uh, when he was saying uh, to him, come out of the man, you unclean, for he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So immediately Jesus recognizes what's going on and, and is speaking not to the man, but speaking to the spirit, speaking to the issue that the man has, this spiritual oppression. And that is the, the spirit is the one who is, is imploring Jesus to, to not destroy him. And Jesus asks him, what is your name? In verse 9, and The spirit replies, my name is Legion, for we are many. A legion was the term used for 6,000 Roman soldiers. Now, that's not to say that there were 6,000 unclean spirits within this man, but the spirit borrows that terminology because that was seen as a very large group, clearly. Verse 10, and he begged him not to send them out of the country Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter there. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirit came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down to the steep bank in the sea and drowned in the sea. Such a unique encounter. We've already seen Jesus encounter uh, demon-possessed people and heal demon-possessed people, but all of the demon possession encounters that Jesus has, all of the spiritual oppression that Jesus deals with, this is likely the most unique and probably the most famous of the stories. Where Jesus encounters this man who is, is living amongst the tombs, breaking the chains, cutting himself with rocks, and Jesus directly speaks with this demon, and this demon recognizes who Jesus is and, and names himself as being legion, multitudes, many that are oppressing this man. But what's the point? We can so often get lost in the, in the narrative of this. It's easy to get lost in the narrative of the story because it's so unique that we miss the point. The point of this is that Jesus frees the man by exercising his authority over the unclean spirit. That's the point. I recognize a lot of questions likely remain. Questions like, what, what's the deal with all these demons oppressing this man? Why does Jesus have this conversation in this way, this unique conversation with legion? Why does he listen to the demon when the demon says, don't cast me out of this country? Jesus has the ability to utterly destroy this demon, and the demon knows it. Why, why does he seemingly like have a, have a, a, uh, make a deal with him? Why does he cast them into pigs? And then when he does, why do those pigs run off a cliff and 
kill themselves, 2,000 of them. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why any of this happens. Other than the fact that Mark and actually Matthew and Luke, all three tell this story really in very similar ways. The gospel authors believe it's important for us to know that it happens. We don't get answers to all of the questions about why Jesus does everything that he does here. And any attempt to really guess at those things is going beyond the, the point of the text. And so let's just let the point of the text sit with us. Here in this Gentile land, immediately Jesus encounters this man in desperate, clear, obvious, desperate need. And he exercises his authority over the spiritual oppressor. Jesus gives life to this man. Which is at least, we must understand from a plain reading of the text, far more valuable than 2,000 pigs. Because they are no more, but now this man is free. Back to our second story. The woman who's bleeding, she comes to Jesus. She reaches out and grabs his tunic, unknown, reaches out and, and just touches the hem of his garment, and she is healed. But that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus will extend compassion to this woman as he heals her of her sickness. Pick up in verse 29, and immediately the flow of blood dried up. So she's touched him and she's healed. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So she knew it immediately. And Jesus, perceiving in himself the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what, he had, what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus wasn't looking. The, the thing that's unique about this, every one of these has these unique little pieces of the story that help us to see how Jesus is interacting with those in desperate need. He's not asking who touched me because he's angry about it. It's not as if his power meter had somehow gone down. You know, Jesus was at full miracle power and now this woman has brought him down to like 95%. Doesn't, the power of Jesus doesn't work that way. And it's not like she was the only one touching him. The disciples are right. There's crowds everywhere. I mean, G Jesus is, is at Disney World on July 4th. There, there are people just shoulder to shoulder crunched in. Who touched me, Jesus says. And the disciples said, what do you mean who touched you? Jesus, everybody has touched you. No, but there was one who touched him. There was one not there to see the show. There was one not there for, for their amusement or their amazement. There was one in desperate need of Jesus in that moment. And that was the one who touched him. She was the one who reached out to him and was healed. Jesus isn't angry at her. She may feel as if she doesn't. Her reaction kind of shows that some. She falls down before him. 
confesses it was her who did it. Fear and trembling have come over her. She tells him what has happened when, it, when Mark says, tells him the whole truth. This means the woman goes back 12 years. Can you imagine this woman kneeling before Jesus, just crying out about the last 12 years of her life, crying about her station in life, crying out about all that she had seems to have lost in life because of this issue of bleeding. And look at the compassion of Jesus. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This woman in desperation falls down before Jesus after having reached out and touched him, and he shows great compassion towards her. Our third story, where Jesus demonstrates his power to raise the dead. Here's Jairus, this important man comes to Jesus. My daughter's sick, come with me. He's going to go with her. He has this encounter with the woman in the meantime. And during that period of time, some come from his house and say, your daughter has died, trouble him not anymore. And then this is what happens in verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. So he takes his inner circle to this man's house. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And we had entered. He said to them, why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Can we just stop there for a moment? First off, two, two things. First, the child is dead. Make no mistake, the child's dead. All three gospel authors make it clear for us the child is dead. But Jesus is not lying. All right, we shouldn't point to this and be like, wait, if the child is dead and Jesus says the child isn't dead, is Jesus lying? We have to view this through the lens of Jesus. We view this through the lens of the power of Jesus and, the power, and what Jesus knows to be, sure, to be true. And he, this is what, G, what we see in this text through the lens of Jesus is the girl is dead, but death, when viewed through that lens of Jesus, she's merely asleep. Jesus has great power, even power over death. And so from Jesus' perspective, it's going to be nothing more than just waking a sleeping girl. And they laughed at him in verse 40. But he put them out, all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, that's Peter, James, and John, and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha kume, which means little girl. I say to you, arise. Mark records for us the Aramaic, the language that Jesus would have spoken that day. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus goes into this house. Everyone's assuming this girl's dead. He goes into this house confident that to Jesus, death is but sleep. Shows great compassion for this girl. It's interesting what Jesus says to her. These words that Jesus says literally translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. There's more compassion in it than just little girl. The, the way this word, word works, it's related to the word of lamb. Jesus is showing great compassion of this 12-year-old girl. He looks down and he says, my little lamb, get up. And she does. 
<laughs> because <laughs> do you ever go in, parents, and go in and, and wake your children? Now, there's two ways to wake your children, right? There's the soft and gentle, hey, little lamb, it's time to wake up. And then there's the, I'm going to play music outside your room. Occasionally that happens at our house. I'm going to play music outside your room because it's time to get up. Jesus doesn't need the second one. <laughs> he goes in, takes her by the hand. Sweet girl, it's time to get up. And she gets up. Because through the power of Jesus, she was just asleep. He has the ability to raise the dead. In this one day, we're casting out demons, we're healing chronically ill women, we're raising dead children, all in desperate need of Jesus. Now we're going to go back to the first story for a minute. Because the first story provides some additional instruction to us that shows us the aftermath of a def desperate encounter with Jesus. There really are two camps here. The first are those who are afraid and reject Jesus. Look at verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told him in the city and told it in the city and in the country. And they went everywhere. <laughs> like y'all will not believe what we saw with the crazy guy out in the tombs and our pigs are gone. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were afraid of the guy that's now fine. Really, they're afraid of the guy that made him fine. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. So this is the first response is that some are afraid and reject and many will view the life change brought about by the power of Christ as strange and reject it. Why? This takes us back again to Luke 4 and the parable of the seeds. Some seeds fall on hard soil. And these are hardened hearts. And because of their hardened hearts, they're unable to receive that which is right before their eyes. Could you imagine seeing this? Seeing this, this oppressed and man who they've obviously, not everybody knows who this guy is. Seeing this conversation, seeing these pigs do what they did, and seeing this man now normal and still rejecting it. People reject the gospel. It's what they will do. People rejected Jesus. It's what they did here. Their hardness of heart did not allow them to accept Jesus for who they were, and so they beg him to leave. And Jesus is going to get in the boat and leave. But before that, he has a just such an inspiring conversation with the man because those who find life in Jesus seek to follow him and tell others about him. Look at these last three verses here. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Jesus doesn't allow this man to come with him. The man wants to come with him. In all likelihood, this man's a Gentile. Remember, this is a Gentile area. And the gospel the ministry of Jesus up until this point is specifically working in Israel. It's not time for Jesus to have a Gentile disciple yet. 
but this becomes the first Gentile missionary. Where even at the end of the third story with Jairus' daughter, Jesus is still telling the Jewish people to remain silent about what they've seen because the Jewish people were uh, looking for the Messiah in the wrong place. And if word continued to spread as it was about the power that Jesus had, they were going to force him into kingship. And so this is why Jesus, this messianic secret that we've seen so often in Mark But in the Decapolis, on the other side of the Jordan, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they're not looking for the Messiah. And so what does Jesus say to this man? You go and you tell your friends how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus tells this man to go and to tell others. Now, we don't live in the day of the messianic secret anymore. We live in the day of go and tell others how much mercy Jesus has had on us. That this is what we do when we have an encounter with Jesus. It becomes impossible for us to keep it in. Go back again. Luke chapter 4. Does a man light a candle and hide it under a basket? No. No. He puts it on a stand so it gives room to the entire house. This is what Jesus is telling this man. He's commissioning this man. You go. And the man does it. The Decapolis, by the way, was a large area. It was was a very large area that pretty much took over all of the east side of the Jordan River and the Golan Heights, that mountainous area to the east of the, the Sea of Galilee. And we're told that he proclaimed Jesus throughout. This man is going and saying how much mercy Jesus had shown him because he went to him in desperation. So what? Have I recognized my desperate need for Jesus? You may, many of you, it's a gathering of Christians. You may hear that question and you think, well, of course I've recognized my desperate need of Jesus. And if you're come to saving faith in Jesus, then you absolutely have. But we so often need to be reminded just how desperate we are, just how much we need him. And some of you, maybe some of you that came this week, you said, Pastor, I'm really in the boat. You know of your desperate need because you're sitting in the midst of it right now. There are likely some sitting in here right now that aren't really convinced of their need for him. Maybe things seem to be going pretty well for you. But hear me, you need Jesus more than you need your next breath. You need Jesus more than you need Sunday lunch. You need Jesus more than you need sleep tonight. You have a desperate need for Jesus. Will you be like these people in these stories and recognize it? Or will you be like the countrymen of the possessed man who, because of the hardness of the heart, sinned Jesus away? What do we do when we recognize our desperate need of Jesus? The story actually tells us. Go back in verse 34 and 36. Speaking to the woman who had the issue of bleeding, he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. When Jesus is interacting with Jairus in verse 36, having overheard the people who have come to say that the girl is dead, he says to her, he says to him, do not fear, only believe. Our desperation for Jesus manifests in one way only faith, that we believe that Jesus 
is who he says he is. That we believe that Jesus can do what the scripture says he can do. And that we believe that no matter what is happening in our lives, Jesus has the power over it. Spiritual oppression, chronic illness, even death. Jesus has the power over it. And we come to him in faith alone. This is the call. We see the demonstration of faith in the demoniac. We hear the instruction of faith to, these, to the woman with the bleeding issue and to Jairus. Your faith has made you well. Do not fear, only believe. And when we believe, here's what happens. Jesus gives life. He gives life. This Mark 5 starts with a man under spiritual oppression. Elsewhere, Jesus will call the chief spiritual oppressor the thief. And then John 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That is what the enemies of God seek to do, to steal and kill and destroy. But he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Truth is all, uh, true life is always the outcome of a desperate encounter with Jesus when we approach him in faith. Do you need something from Jesus today? Even Christians, are, are you in need of something from Jesus today? Come to Jesus in faith, believing that in him, he gives us abundant life. He gives us abundant life. That nothing that this world can throw at us can defeat us because in Jesus we find life. Regardless of what kind of oppression we are under, regardless of what kind of physical ailments we are under, know this, Jesus has the power over death. So even if it costs us our very life, our physical life, we have eternal spiritual life with him because he has come to give us abundant life, not just now, but forever. So instead of looking for all the ways to fix everything going on in your life, look to Jesus. person here without a relationship with Jesus who has never come to faith within, hear me, you will never fix your greatest need. You'll, you'll never be able to overcome the sin that separates you from God, but faith in Jesus does. Jesus offers that freely to you today, and you too can have life if you will come to him in faith. Oh, church, in our most desperate hour, as we've seen here in the text, let us run to Jesus in faith, believing that in him, regardless of our circumstances, we find life. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for the life that we find in Jesus. Thank you that he has the power over oppression. He has the power over ailment. He has the power even over death so that in him we find life. We find it abundantly. You give it to us generously as you birth faith in us. We birth faith in those who have never believed in you today so that they may be saved. Will you remind us of the faith that we have for the many in here who are walking with you, some of which are walking through hard times right now. Will you help them in these hardships? 
to turn to one place only, their Lord Jesus, who gives them life, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Church family, we respond now by worshiping the one who gives us life. We stand with us as we sing.